Welcome to the Big Data Perspective. In the big data world, we're fascinated by real life use cases, how data is actually being used. The medical industry is one that's quickly realizing the potential that big data analytics has and what it's doing with data is in many cases incredible. Today we're speaking with Dr. Charlotte Hovitt, Medical Director of Healthcare Solutions at NTT Data Services to hear from her how big data is changing the medical field. I'm Andrew Brust, and this is the Big Data Perspective. Charlotte, thank you so much for being with us here today. Thank you, Andrew. It's a pleasure to join you. And uh, as we were kind of chatting in the virtual uh, green room, uh, it's nice, really nice to have a guest who's uh, focused on a, on a particular vertical, a particular application and use case, and especially one as important as healthcare. So we have, uh, we have a bunch of questions for you. You'll, you'll pardon me in advance if any of them seems naive, and if that's the case, feel free to feel free to kind of recast things as, as makes sense. Um, but uh, yeah, clearly all of us in the industry are eager that instead of being in an echo chamber, we're really, you know, we're really building technologies that are getting applied for, uh, for, for the good uh, of, a, of an industry. And, and, you know, if it's for the good of humanity, so much the better. Um, so with all that kind of flowery intro, my, <laughs> my first question is, um, you know, uh, it, it, uh, as, much as, as much as big data needs to be sensitive to industrial needs, I, I suppose certain, certain industries and certain disciplines need to be ready for big data technology itself. So the, the first question is, what changes does the healthcare system need to implement, in your, in your view, in order to make genuine, rigorous use uh, of their big data? All right. Boy, broad question, Andrew. So yes. let's 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 break that down a little bit, and and Perfect. and let me just share that the perspective I'm I'm bringing to this conversation is that of a primary care physician having practiced family medicine for 20 years, and then also being now in the world of clinical informatics for um, the past 10 years. So yes, yeah, so I'm I'm bringing a really a primary care perspective to this topic of big data. And, you know, it, it's so broad. I mean, when, I, when we talk about big data, um, people think about all of these wearable sensors out there and the Internet of Things and, and how is that helping us. And so I think what we might do is, is, is kind of break it down a little bit and talk about that, yes, let's, let's start with the fact that there's, there's the Internet of Things and then there's all of these, you know, wearable sensors and Fitbits and tracking monitors and so forth. And, you know, a, a lot of people are questioning the value of that. They're saying, you know, really, how does that add value? Well, let's start with there because we're going to move across the, the spectrum here of big data. But, you know, and, and what does big data mean? But, you know, when we, when we look at, you know, Actually, actually, let's go back to that, Andrew, even big data, because to me, a, a few years ago, I had to, you know, 
figure out, well, what does big data mean from a, a clinical perspective? And so from right. a clinical perspective, big data for me is really a collection of large and complex data sets, you know, which are difficult to process using our, our common database tools such as the EHR, and, and obviously there's just so much data out there. It's very complex data, and, and the data, one of the things we're going to talk about is, is the importance of aggregating that data. But, you know, there's, there's all kinds of disparate data out there that needs to be pulled together. It needs to be, to be analyzed and so forth. And so let's go, back to, let's go back to what I was talking about with, let's go to the very basic here right now about all this data out there that's coming in from the, the wearable sensors and internets and people are wondering, is that adding any value? Well, I think it does in the short term. I think it, it adds value in the short term in terms of, of helping our, our patients, people, our community members do more self-monitoring and self-management of their health care. I think of their, you know, I really feel strongly that we need to be our own primary care providers. So there's no question that having all of that information out there, and that probably doesn't really fit the term big data, but having that data out there for people to use and manage is useful. However, people, after about six months, you know, start, start, it starts to become noise. They start to lose interest in it. And so then the question, oh, so what, what do we do with that? Then people say, oh, well, let's, let's forward it to the primary care physician. Let's send the primary care physician all this information on um, these wearable sensors and my Fitbit and how many steps I took a day and, and so forth. And yet, to the primary care physician, that's just noise. That just just data is noise. And what has to happen as we move forward um, in healthcare, and as we'll explain in this conversation, is that we have to turn that data into identifying outliers, finding things that are outside the normal pattern. We have to take data and turn it into actionable insights. And so it, it's really it's really about taking data and yes, changing it into meaningful information so that either the, the person at home can use that data to change their behaviors, to take action, which helps promote health, or it's information that the clinician can then use um, the, the clinical team actually, because we're really moving to a team-based uh, care delivery model where the healthcare team can use that information to take action in terms of caring for their patients. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, when we talk about, um, you know, outside of healthcare specifically, when we talk about the Internet of Things, there's often a breakdown between kind of the consumer view of what that is, which is often like, you know, smart devices in the home, like thermostats and so forth. And then, then there's the whole industrial application where you're talking about, you know, you're talking about um, uh, uh, things like antennas, uh, you know, cell, cell towers that are out in the field or uh, equipment on a manufacturing floor. And, you know, they all have sensors and they all report data, but some of it <clears throat> is noisier and more kind of, I don't know, pop data than, than it is uh, directly, directly useful um, in a discipline. So it sounds like um, you're at least alluding to the possibility that, yeah, you know, for medical devices, real medical devices, whether they be in the doctor's office, the hospital, or, or sent home, 
that readings from there um, obviously have are very germane readings from uh, Fitbits and, and, and similar devices, maybe less so. Um, and then electronic health records, that's probably not big data per se, but there's still there's still a high volume of it, and if you can correlate these things, <clears throat> then maybe things start to start to become more useful and, and more navigable. Um, go ahead. Exactly. I, I want to add to that in, in that, so I use the Fitbit that's kind of, we, we hear a lot about all about these wearable sensors and trackers and so forth, but I think we're now, we're now moving forward in that when we talk about, you know, biometric monitoring, we're actually starting in healthcare to drill down where it's becoming more useful. Like, um, I know that NTT Data, we're, we're, we're doing some work with a client um, looking at, at, at monitoring, biometric monitoring to ha help um, people with their athletic performance. We're actually starting to look at, um, you know, analyze a, a, an athlete's sweat in real time actually analyzing their sweat in real time to determine their hydration and electrolyte levels. And then through the sweat analysis, um, you know, you can, you can actually improve their performance. And is so there, that's is an it really called, is it really called sweat analysis? It's called sweat analysis. Yes, that's, that's what it's awesome. called. <laughs> it's called, right. it's called that. And so that's an example of using um, remote monitoring, using wearable sensors, all of this out there to track, um, um, you know, an athletics performance. There's those activities are going on with race car drivers, where we're, we're monitoring using analytics to uh, analyze all of their vital signs and and g forces and so forth. But I think what what we need to move to today in this conversation is using these tools to truly prevent, to be proactive and prevent chronic disease. Because in the world of healthcare, it is chronic disease that, that, that we, 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 just, we have to address it. We have to begin to manage chronic disease by taking a much more uh, preventative um, uh, approach. And so let me just put that in context, that when we talk about all of these, I, I mentioned athletes, race drivers, there's so much that could be done in terms of also monitoring, um, doing all kinds of, pulling all kinds of big data together um, for detecting risk factors, risk conditions for chronic disease before people have any symptoms. Because having been in healthcare a long time, I can tell you that medicine has been a very reactive field. You know, in the years I was in direct practice, you know, we would be faced with a disease, we would treat it, you know, if the pain got worse, we would alleviate it. But today, with value-based healthcare, with value-based healthcare, we have got to be much more proactive and preventative. And I can tell you that big data is key to this. It's absolutely key to, to identifying risk factors for disease and, and using predictive analytics to really influence our decision-making um, as, as patients and as clinicians. So, and so again, can, I'm thinking, I'm sorry, again, I'm thinking no, ahead, of, a, of an... I'm thinking of an IoT analogy, right? We talk about in, in, in the world of IoT, Internet of Things, the, the, one of the applications that's 
you know, arguably had the most traction is this idea of preventive maintenance. So, you know, it's usually applied to mundane things, not like human bodies, but like elevators um, or, you know, heating, ventilation, air conditioning systems. Um, <clears throat> get building predictive models based on all the sensor data, we may be able to, you know, observe phenomena that tend to be precursors to breakdowns. And, um, you know, and things that wouldn't, you know, necessarily be intuitive in that respect. So it's been really helpful there. And, uh, I mean, I hate to equate a machine, you know, with a human being, but it sounds like you're saying there's a, there's a, similar, there's a similar approach and validity on the healthcare side where we can be much more granular in the data that we observe. And as such, we can be predictive and we can be proactive about treating disease rather than waiting for empirical uh, symptoms to show up. Um, we can look at precursors instead of, instead of just, you know, end results and, and resulting symptoms. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let me, let me restate that a little bit in that sure. there's, there, the whole idea of value-based healthcare is to improve both individual and but to improve the outcomes for both individuals and for a population as a whole, it's to improve outcomes at a reduced cost. And there is no question. I am. I. I. I think, like so many, firmly believe that the only way we can do this is through predictive analytics. And predictive analytics are basically based on big data. You, you have to have big data. You've got to have data from um, multiple sources, and those are often disparate sources. We've got to basically look ahead now and look at, you know, in the future, yes, wearable sensors will not be just, they won't be just Fitbits and other trackers that tell us how many steps we take and that we should get up and move and so forth. I mean, those are important. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to minimize those. But I think moving into the future, we are going to be doing so much more automated um, monitoring of vital signs and blood sugars and all kinds of biometric, meaningful biometric measures. Now, again, one thing we, we've learned in healthcare is that one model does not fit all. In other words, there's going to be the healthy population, the population that, are, that don't have chronic disease, although one in seven, I think it's one in seven um, adults in the United States have one, one chronic disease. Actually, I take that back. It's 45%. Seven, it's more like seven out of 10 deaths every year in the United States are related to a chronic disease, and 45% of all Americans have at least one chronic disease. So think about that. About half of us have a chronic disease by the time we're adults, and yet so many of those diseases could be prevented preventable, preventable. And that's why this is predictive analytics is so important so that if we can give people information early on that will help engage them, engage them to change their behaviors, we can then make an impact on their overall health. And so as we move forward, we're going to be doing so what I wanted to say was there's the healthy population, which, okay, you might do some monitoring of, and then you've got your rising risk population, which are those people who maybe have one risk, and then you have your high-risk population who often have two to more chronic diseases and are very complex, and they will need the most monitoring. They're going to need to 
be monitored in their home on a daily basis and, and that data all needs to feed back to their primary care team because I'll use congestive heart failure as an example. Congestive sure. heart failure patients it, that is just such a oh, it's such a huge huge diseased issue in our country and and yet most of the care needs to occur in a patient's home that's where we live we live in our homes and so that's where patients right. should get their care that's where they should be monitored that's where the whole issues of remote monitoring and having all of that data feedback into the clinical setting to the care team that's where tele uh, care, telemedicine comes into play. Okay, so that's kind of the care delivery that goes on. But I want to get back to big data because big data going forward, we are going to be able to take, we're going to take the information that's in the EHR, we're going to take the information that, that comes from all of these remote monitoring tools, we're going to take the information, we're going to be able to take our gen genetic data, we're going to be able to take our microbiome data, we're going to be able to take a lot of data, a lot of data. Yeah. And because of all the, the, the computational ability today and all of the algorithms that are being um, co continually developed um, for predictive analytics, we are going to be able to apply big data and predictive analytics on a day-to-day -day basis, which will truly, truly transform um, healthcare and outcomes. It, yeah, we, we have in a term of art in the data world called data blending where we're talking about taking dis disparate data sets and, you know, not just doing the, the, the physical, tactical work of joining them, but, you know, actually being able to correlate them. And it sounds like what you're saying is that's where, that's the horizon for big, uh, for, for healthcare analytics is being able to take these you know these data these data sets that you know have been siloed either um, because of uh, because specializations within the medical field tend to have different systems and different databases or just because in practical terms the data was collected in different places as you said you know with chronic care some of it's going to be picked up um, by devices that are in the home when obviously when it's in a, a clinical setting you're you're collecting data differently there and of course you know sensor data and um, and and office visit data are, are separate as well, and and then then you bring the consumer side into it, and uh, and it's and it's even it's even more dispersed. But what you're saying is, it's the grand unification of all of these things that that's really gonna that's really gonna have the breakthrough, and that even if some <clears throat> pardon me even if some of the this stuff seems a little superfluous, you're saying no, you know there's the power that we have now is that we can cast a pretty wide net and we can we can bring lots of stuff together and therefore we can probably correlate phenomena which we you know probably didn't even have a hunch was related and we might find relationships there and and that could be breakthroughs so what what you don't know is that i had i had questions specifically um about um chronic care. I had uh, questions about uh, the consumer devices and the biometric data. I had the question about what gets you kind of the most excited about what's going on in the field right now. And, and inadvertently, you've covered all of that, which means I don't have to ask those questions. <laughs> um, 
my my final question was around um, was around predictions, and even there, I think you've kind of you've kind of covered it, and that you've talked about how a lot of these data sets will will come together and probably produce value, you know, from the whole that's greater than the sum of the parts. But let me um, let me uh, follow up on that a little bit and ask you if you have if you have other predictions for you know what what may come. Uh, down down the pike uh, in terms of practice and in terms of technology, you know, this year and into the into the more distant future, a few years from now. Um, how's your crystal ball? What are you What are you looking forward to? It can be stuff that you hope will happen rather than stuff you guarantee will happen. Right. So. Well, you know, again, one of the things I I certainly hope will happen is is, is is a way to truly that that we really you know as a culture a healthcare culture that we really are open to sharing our data and then obviously aggregating it and analyzing it and using it um to forward patient centered information driven healthcare and you know that 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 takes a lot of different stakeholders um but on this topic more specifically one of the things that excites me because this was a about machine learning. And I have spent a lot of time recently in the world of imaging analytics. So when we, again, we, we both know that, I mean, big data is just one big term and it involves all kinds of data sets. And then we, we drill down to predictive analytics. And then so how do we use all that data? And I've, I've learned a lot recently about imaging analytics. And, and imaging can be in the field of cardiology, it can be field, field of pathology, dermatology. But specifically, I've been working more in the field of radiology. And I find mm-hmm. it fascinating that there are, you know, there's just billions of images that are stored today in archives. Let's face it, probably every one of us at some time has had an x-ray. You know, we, we do, we field in terms of helping diagnose and, and manage um, healthcare um, conditions and illnesses. And yet, usually after the primary diagnosis, that 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 image gets put away and stored. Right. Well, today, today we've we, we're learning through um, sophisticated algorithms that that like a CT of your chest. You know, the CT of your chest might have been done for one reason, and that's what the radiologist appropriately focuses on. But through um, through through sophisticated algorithms, you can look at those CT scans, um, look at all the pixels, and actually pick up other in significant findings, not significant to that primary diagnosis for which the image was ordered, but significant in that it could be a risk for heart disease or a risk for this or a risk for that. And you can use that data. You can then use that data to have some actionable insights where providers can take this data then, and as you said earlier, use it um, in a meaningful way on data that's already been obtained. It's already out there. It's stored. Let's use it. And I think that's what we're going to find. We're going to start finding that there's all these, this imaging data, and now we've got genetic data, and how do we correlate that? Like if you've got a certain genomics profile, how does that correlate with your, um, you know, your, the phenotype that's, that's, 
recognized in your imaging studies. So it's I find it really interesting how I think the future is 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 putting all of these sources of data, whether it's imaging imaging data, genetic data, microbiome data, um, you know, the environmental data. And I think it's going to be amazing as we aggregate and run algorithms um, using lots of different sources of data, how we are going to be able to um, identify risk factors. And then from there, we're going to be able to identify uh, treatment models that really are precise for that particular patient, which of course comes back to precision medicine. And so we are going to be able to truly transform how we deliver care. So it is very individualized and, mm -hmm. and you know, at, at some point get rid of so many of these chronic diseases that today we, we aren't effectively managing. Well, your, your enthusiasm is, is definitely palpable. Um, I want to I wanna contribute one observation and, and one more question, and I think that'll finish us up. So the, the observation is just that you've happened upon another analogy, not even for big data, but, you know, for older business intelligence technologies. It's always been about this idea that we have kind of business business systems of record that are collecting transactional data for whatever the business may be. You know, it could be sales, it could be um, it could be office visits, it could be particular procedures that were administered and so forth. And it's one thing to collect it, it's something else to then, you know, really, really analyze it and learn things from it. And that's been true in the data world. The mainstream data world definitely sounds like it's a huge factor um, in the medical world as well. You have mentioned a couple of times, this is the question, this is the, the last piece I think, you've mentioned a couple of times the, the well, just the fact and the, the situation, the circumstance on the ground, which is that we have a lot of this data collected, um, it's sitting there, there's a lot of benefit to be had from correlating it and aggregating it. And I don't know if you meant to reference this or if it's just something that triggered in my brain, but you know, there's, eth there's ethics questions about, uh, about how that data is handled, uh, who has access to it, uh, at what level of granularity or aggregation it's going to be okay to share it and publish it and so forth. And this, by the way, also exists in the mainstream, you know, the, the, the data analytics mainstream. It's not, it's not specific uh, on the medical side, but it's probably more even acute there because obviously this kind of data is very personal to people and, um, you know, willingness to share it or trepidation around sharing it could be pretty high. So could you tell us what, what you're seeing in the field or what you expect to transpire in the field around focusing on the data ethics? Because it's a pretty big question overall. You know, my observation is that the industry overall hasn't done much with it, um, but it wouldn't actually be too hard if we only focused on it. What's, what's going on on the medical side? Well, I think, I think to answer that question, I, I, I mean, clearly ethics is, is always an issue and making sure still that people's identified information is private and secure. Um, right. So it, it's so important. Um, you know, I mean, that's why we have HIPAA. And, and so we definitely, but there's, I think the word, what is it, anonymized? 
so it's it's the the information is de-identified so we do need to make sure that that's the first thing so i would say with this ethics question the first thing is to protect people's privacy and the security of their healthcare um, data information so that's important and then yes i i think that um, like anything, we, we, we need to ask people for permission to use their anonymized um, data, and I think most people want it used, especially when it, it can help um, through, especially we haven't talked too much about what machine learning means, but how machines obviously can analyze all this data in, in ways that human beings are, are simply cannot. As brilliant as our brains may be, we, we cannot analyze these volumes and volumes of data. And so that's the benefit today of, of machine learning, which is a form of artificial intelligence. But I think my experience has been that if you explain to people and you you can you know to the best of our, our human ability protect and, and secure that information they want it to be used to um, better outcomes to improve you know just improve healthcare because I think we all we all know that there's there, there's always room for improvement in healthcare in in the way we diagnose and in the way we treat patients I think most people want it to be uh, more personalized precise care so I guess that's my long-winded answer to the fact that I think if people are are if you if you inform them of how the information is going to be used, what it's going to be used for, I think that um, we can manage this in a very ethical manner. Okay, excellent. We've covered an awful lot. Like I said, it's been nice to uh, get away from just the, the technology side of it and really um, really see uh, a use case that obviously everybody can identify with because. Uh, health is important um, to everyone, uh, but it's also interesting that we saw a lot of analogies between that particular application and some of the more generic questions that we've been discussing in this series overall. So uh, I want to thank you very, very much for joining us. It was a, it was, it was edifying, truly. Um, and uh, <laughs> thank you, Andrew. I wish you, I wish you a great rest of uh, 2017. Great. Thank you, Andrew. It was a pleasure. I look forward to conversing again.